This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of the world's 348th most popular true crime podcast. Today's story involves a sauna in Rochdale, risk-taking, controlling behaviour, sex work, dogging and an axe. But before we begin today's episode, I would like to say a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new supporters. That is Chris Warburton, Stacey McConville, Jeremy Andrews and Carol Owen. Thanks also to Laura Knox and Catherine Spencer-Cook who have increased their donations. Thank you all so much and I hope you enjoy the newest full-length bonus episode, number 21, which was released this last week. Let's set some context for today and look at the music charts for the 23rd of May 2001. Top of the chart was everyone's least favourite Spice Girl, Jerry Halliwell, with her version of It's Raining Men. Got your tickets for the Spice Girl reunion tour yet? No, nor me. Without the musical genius of Posh Spice, how could it ever be the same, huh? In the US, it was Top of the Tree for All For You by Janet. God, not very inspiring, is it? Maybe the Australian album chart was better. Oh my goodness, no. Top-selling album of the year was the Moulin Rouge soundtrack, followed by No Angel by Dido. And some people say modern music is rubbish. May 2001 was the year that the DreamWorks movie Shrek opened, starring Wayne Rooney, along with Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy and Cameron Diaz in voiceover roles. 32-year-old Eric Wayhenmeyer of Boulder, Colorado, became the first blind person to reach the summit of Mount Everest. A stunningly amazing achievement. And 129 football fans died in Ghana at the Accra Sports Stadium disaster, caused by a stampede due to the firing of tear gas by police following a decision by the referee in a crucial match. In the UK, this was the month that Deputy Prime Minister John Tujabs Prescott punched a protester who threw an egg at him in real North Wales. What was your take on that? I know, I know he shouldn't have retaliated. He should set an example and all that sensible stuff. But for me, it was great to see some lout who thought it was okay to throw eggs at him face the consequences. A bit like when Cantona kung fu'd that repulsive fan at Crystal Palace. Prescott later joked, I wish I'd ducked a bit quicker at real. Mind you, I think the other guy thinks that as well. Quite, John, quite. At school, Janet Charlton aspired to be a businesswoman. She passed her A-levels but dropped out of her business studies course at Huddersfield Polytechnic, as the heavy maths content on the course wasn't for her. Too popular to work in a state agency, she took the next worst option and ended up working in telesales for a recruitment company. Living with her boyfriend, things seemed to be going really well for Janet, but then she met her future husband, Tony. He was just 21 when he met 25-year-old Janet via a mutual friend. 
He later said, I thought she was sexy and I fancied the idea of an older woman. The first night we met we had sex for four hours until she got up and dressed, explaining she had to go back to her partner. Life was to come full circle though because she went on to do exactly the same to me eventually. I should have heeded the warning, but I didn't. Tony knew that Janet had enjoyed her teens and twenties and was much more sexually experienced than him, but that was part of the attraction. He continued, I remember once being in her bedroom and she showed me an underwear drawer and she pulled out a white piece of paper and briefly showed it to me. It was a list of all the men she had slept with. Number 95, Gypsy from Fair. Number 110, Waiter, while on holiday with Martin. I think she was up to 115 when she met me. But it didn't bother me then. In some ways it just made me feel proud that of all those men, she was falling in love with me and wanted to be my wife. And indeed she did. Just two and a half years from their first meeting, they married in a lavish ceremony by the beach in Mauritius. Tony and Janet were happy, and Tony's businesses were starting to become successful too, enabling them to move to a lovely detached house in a leafy suburb of Huddersfield. The couple had what some people seemed to aspire to, a middle-class lifestyle, his and her BMWs in the drive, exotic holidays and designer wardrobes. Then in 1997, their daughter Amy was born. And in fairy tales, this was the event that should have cemented their relationship. But instead, it began to drive them apart. Tony said, I was delighted, but motherhood had a very strange effect on Janet. It just made her more determined to go out and party. It seemed as though she was on a mission to show that having a child was not going to change her lifestyle. She told family and friends that she wasn't cut out to be a mum. Although she wasn't working, she hired a childminder to care for Amy while she sunbathed. And just nine months after Amy's arrival, the couple had agreed to separate. Tony noticed a huge change with how Janet socialised, with Janet dressing very differently. She started to wear mini skirts and plunging necklines again. Of course, she should dress however she pleased. But Tony was concerned as it was combined with staying out until the early hours and it reminded him of how Janet was in her single days. He suspected that she was seeing other men and the arguments between them increased and became more heated. But then Tony's worst fears were realised as he discovered that she was having an affair with a married neighbour. Tony was devastated. Janet was, well, ambivalent. So Tony took the decision to divorce Janet. She wasn't unhappy with this turn of events and left the six-year marriage with a £67,500 settlement, a £5,000 Renault Clio, the contents of the detached home and £300 a month maintenance for Amy. The first thing she bought was a semi-detached home for £50,000 followed by breast implants for £5,000. And why not? Personally, I'm a fan of any cosmetic surgery that makes us feel better about ourselves. And both of my penis reduction procedures were money really well spent. But Janet quickly missed her comfortable suburban lifestyle and it was that tricky situation faced by many single parents. She wanted to earn good money, of course, but also to spend more time with her daughter. She looked around for jobs, but it was difficult due to the hours or the extortionate childcare costs. 
Then as her financial situation became more pressing, she registered with a company called UK Escorts, a Nottingham-based firm that advertised women for whining and dining. Of course, most of these men wanted a lot more than that. But Janet had enjoyed sex with a number of different men since her divorce. She slept with three men in a week on holiday in Australia after the split. And she was keen on a bit of wife or husband swapping and threesomes. And so her attitude was, why not get paid for doing it? And why not indeed? The agency assured her there was no pressure to do so. The work before any extras paid £50 an hour and it allowed her to spend more time with her daughter and not pay for childcare. And Janet found she enjoyed the work, and she struck up genuine relationships with her clients, not all of whom she had sex with, as many of these men did just want companionship. And then she was contacted by a man in his late 30s from Wakefield, Yorkshire, called Danny O'Brien. He originally called her because he was looking for someone to take to the Hedonism Resort in Jamaica, but she told him she couldn't go. But she did arrange to see him at his house shortly afterwards in September 2000, and she was pleased that she did. Danny was different from the others, and she really liked him. She liked him a lot. He was well off, charming, attractive, and they had good sex. She was keen to see him again, and not just as a client. Danny felt the same way about Janet, who was beautiful and good fun. And life was really good for him at the moment. Originally from Manchester, he'd made some good cash by selling his gas repair and fixture company to British Gas. He enjoyed his money and he drove a black jeep with the personalised registration M6 Dan. He was close to his family and popular with his neighbours as he was a friendly, outgoing sort of man who would stop for a chat. He'd been working from home since January since finishing his consultancy role with British Gas, and he was now pondering what to do with the rest of his life. Things moved very quickly with Danny and Janet, and within a month she had given him a cheque for £60,000, her share in the marital home, and installed herself and her daughter Amy in his modern detached home. She told friends that she was madly in love with Danny, and sexually she had never met a man like him before. He wanted to try everything and anything and expected both his male and female partners to do the same. But she also quickly discovered he had a controlling obsessive side to his character. His shirts had to be hung in a particular order of colour in the wardrobe. Food had to be precisely prepared. And he bitterly resented her ex-husband's access to Amy and referred to him as the sperm donor. The feeling, by the way, was replicated by Amy's dad, Tony who saved Danny's name in his phone as a swear word. Danny tried to distance Janet from her family and friends, as when she was with them, he didn't have the control over her that he needed. And this control extended to their sex life too. Very quickly, he began moving from adventurous sex between the two of them, to persuading her to take part in new sexual experiences, especially ones that involved Janet having sex with strangers in public places, whilst he watched. I'm sure you're all familiar with dogging. Theoretically, of course. This was one of Danny's favourite things. Janet went with him on a number of occasions, including having sex with a stranger on the bonnet of Danny's car whilst he watched. 
But her feelings were mixed about these experiences. On the one hand, she could see it delighted Danny, and she found it sexually exciting. But then again, the reality of being in a desolate car park, late at night in her wellies due to the mud, having sex with someone she didn't know, wasn't an experience she really enjoyed, and she felt a bit silly as well. But she went along with it, and she could see just how happy it made Danny. And then there were the sex clubs. Firstly, Danny encouraged her to attend a sex sauna club in Rochdale. Gosh, I can see how Janet was reluctant. I think a game of dominoes at the Dog and Duck sounds more glamorous than the Rochdale sauna, don't you? But after making excuses to avoid it for a while, she did eventually go and had sex with a man there whilst Danny watched, and she could again see how much it excited him. Janet wasn't keen to repeat the experience, but Danny made it very clear that if she wanted to make him happy, then she would go again. So next time they went to a much larger club in Manchester, Janet said, We went into one of the rooms, and lots of men had sex with me, as many as ten. Danny was directing the men. I felt awful. I came away feeling like a piece of meat and felt so stupid. I told him I would never go again, and I never did. But this was an important part of Danny's life. With his ex-wife, he'd been regularly involved in all manner of threesomes and group sex. And the sexual experimentation had increased with his next serious girlfriend, Lynn Golland, who he saw for four years. She later said, It was a very sexual relationship from the word go. It was all new to me, something that I've never experienced before in my life. They indulged all manner of fantasies at his home in Wakefield, car parks, hotel and sauna clubs. The couple advertised for potential partners in contact magazines and received calls on Danny's business telephone, also known as the naughty phone. Danny would always make your fantasy happen for you to give you pleasure, she said, adding that they regularly place adverts in a sex magazine in order to contact other people looking for casual sex. One advert read, Professional, active couple, both in late 30s, seek new sexy friends and invited readers to service the slut's wife. It went on, We are both extremely broad-minded, both could be submissive, therefore masters are absolutely welcome. On one occasion, Lynn said, Danny watched her have sex with 12 men, three of them at the same time. She continued, The number wasn't set at 12. We rang a lot of people that day, well over 20, and 12 people turned up. She also watched as Danny had sex with men, which he often did, sometimes in his blonde wig. Another time they met a man at a hotel in Wakefield, and she had sex with him for £80 while Danny watched. The couple kept a sex kit at home, which included a Zorro-style mask with no eye holes, PVC suits, stockings handcuffs, and rubber surgical gloves. Lynn said they got most of their ideas for films, and would then discuss how they could turn them into reality. She said that though other people regularly join them for sex, the sex never involved children or animals or people being hurt. There was no violence used and no threats to make me perform sexual acts, she said. Danny wouldn't have had pleasure from that. He was never violent or harsh. But one day, Danny asked if she would have sex with a father while his son watched and learned how to have sex with a woman. She would then have sex with the boy and his father could show him what to do. She said, 
I was appalled and said to Danny, no way. She added, there was an occasion following that when he tried to introduce that suggestion again. But the control that Danny always wanted led to the end of their relationship. In 2000, shortly before Danny met Janet, Lynn's blood disorder flared up and she became ill, which spelled the end of their relationship. She said, Danny did not deal with my illness very well. He didn't like illness because it was something that was out of his control. He liked to control things that went on around him. Fast forward to seven months after Janet and Danny met. It was a day when Janet's ex, Tony, was due to collect Amy to take her out. Janet and Amy had been playing in the park when Tony arrived, and Janet told her three-year-old daughter to go inside and say goodbye to Danny. As she walked in the bedroom, Amy saw Danny lying in bed, where he had been brutally murdered, suffering over 20 blows with an axe to his head, neck and shoulders, heavy enough to shear wood chips from a doorframe and slice through the carpet. Draped over the top of the axe head was a suspender belt and a pair of white fishnet stockings. On his wrists were a pair of handcuffs which had become separated. In his mouth was a rubber ball in the form of a gag secured around his neck with a collar. He was wearing a blindfold and under his neck was a black stocking and on the bed nearby was a leather whip. After seeing the dead body, Amy asked her mum, why has Danny got red jam on his head? Tony, who was waiting outside to collect his daughter, then heard his ex-wife scream. He said, she started banging on the window above the door with both fists shouting, help me, help me. She was hysterical, horrified, just horrified. Tony ran inside and found his wife and daughter on the stairs. She pointed to the bedroom and said, Danny's in there, there's blood everywhere. He added, we went into the dining room. She was hysterical and couldn't keep still. Her hands were everywhere and she was crying. She later told him there was an axe or something and a paramedic told him it had been left in the victim's head. Janet was put in the back of an ambulance. She said she loved him so much and that they were talking about getting married that afternoon when they were in the garden, said Tony. The police investigation began and detectives made appeals for a number of people who'd been seen in and around the area at the time of the killing. Due to the way Danny's body was found and what they knew about his sex life, it was immediately clear that he was killed by a lover in some sort of sexual encounter. There was no sign of a forced entry, so it appeared to be someone he knew, or at least was expecting, at his home. Detectives also made it clear publicly that Danny kept notes about the people he knew, encouraging people who'd been involved with Danny to come forward, rather than receive the dreaded knock on the door. It was four days later that the distraught Janet Charlton was able to give her first account to police about what had happened. She told how Danny had become frisky and suggested going upstairs for sex where he stripped naked. She said she'd thrown off her bikini and put on fishnet stockings and a leopard skin effect suspender belt. The rest was all standard stuff as she told officers that her partner was keen to use sex toys including handcuffs latex gloves, a whip and poppers to enhance sexual pleasure. She told police, he liked to talk filth and fantasise. He wanted me to talk filth to him. However, the sex session was interrupted when Amy walked up the stairs. And over the following days, Janet gave different versions of events to friends, 
She told one, I cannot believe this has happened. Who would have done such a thing? She told another that with her lover's death, she had missed out on a £20,000 diamond ring. I've also missed out on a beautiful white dress, she said. And five days after the murder, Janet asked to see her lover's body in the mortuary in Leeds. When she was led inside, she told him, You poor bastard. We will get the bastard who did this, my love. I love you. She ran out screaming. During this difficult period, Janet phoned Danny's grieving 72-year-old mum. Mrs Bryan urged Janet to rack her brains for any little detail that would lead murder squad detectives to that horrible animal who killed her son. Janet replied, We said yesterday afternoon that anyone that's capable of that must be a psychopath. I mean, it's not normal. What you've got to remember is that the last time I saw your son, he seemed to be having a fantastic time sitting in the garden with me and his daughter. The last time I saw him alive, he was really happy. And as I keep saying to the police, we were having a lovely day. She added, I've lost the person that I love and the thought of never being able to hold him again, it's just so unbearable. Talking of her visit to see his body at the morgue, she said, he looked better than when I had seen him, so I'm glad I went. But to be honest, I thought they'd have made him look better than they did. To me, he wasn't my Danny. She also confessed that she was scared for her own safety. This place is like Fort Knox, but what if whoever's done it didn't just want Danny? What if he wanted me and my daughter? I feel petrified that there's someone out there who wants to get to me as well. And she also spoke about the moment she found the body, saying, I feel numb. I feel guilty because I can't forget. I can never forget. I'm trying to hold it together so much for my daughter. I felt, my God, this is going to affect so many people's lives. Not just me, but you and everybody. If it had happened normally, it would have been devastating enough. But for it to happen like this. But then, six and a half months after Danny's death, Janet Charlton walked into a police station and confessed to his murder. It was she who had killed Danny. But she told police that due to Danny's sexual demands, she was going to leave him. But Danny didn't take this news well and had told her that he would kill her and her daughter Amy if she tried to leave and had gestured to the axe that was in their bedroom for that purpose. She told detectives, I love my daughter more than anything else on this planet and there was no way some bastard was going to kill me and then kill my daughter. She claimed that on the day of the murder she tried to pacify Danny with sex but then spotted the axe in the master bedroom. She added, there was just no way he was going to kill my daughter. No way, because I knew how evil he was. He'd have done her. I know 100,000%. I know my daughter would have had no chance whatsoever, because he was just so deranged. I just know he would have done it. I hit him once with the axe when he was on his knees. He stood up and turned around, and after that I hit him again, but I don't know how many times. I just stood there. I did not know what I did until I had got some blood on my foot and wiped it off. She said, I didn't know that I'd killed him. I just walked out of the room. I was totally in a daze, an utter daze. She then got dressed and walked out of the house with her daughter as though nothing had happened, adding, I would never have gone back to that house with my daughter. I did not know that I'd killed him. Then I came back and what I found was pure shock horror. I know it sounds ridiculous. But I didn't know. It was just the most horrific thing I'd ever seen in my life.
Danny's family and friends were incredibly angry with his explanation. It is not how they saw it at all. Instead, they believe that the reason Janet Charlton killed Danny is because he had tired of the relationship and wanted to end it. This was backed up in court by Danny's ex-girlfriend, Lynn Golland, who said they'd rekindled their relationship and Danny had told her he wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. The pair had met up the day before Danny died and they drove to nearby Chatsworth House where they had sex in the grounds. He was going to run away with me for two days and bring me back married, but we didn't have to rush as we had the rest of our lives together, she said, adding that they were planning to run a guest house together after he'd ended the relationship with Janet Charlton. On the day of Danny's murder, they had their last phone conversation in which they made firm plans to move in together. But just hours later, Danny was dead, dashing their hopes of a future together forever. Summing up the evidence heard at Leeds Crown Court, the judge told the jury they could find Janet Charlton guilty of murder, convict her of manslaughter on the grounds of provocation, or acquit her completely if they believed she was acting in lawful self-defence. And he urged them not to condemn her for the sex life she'd enjoyed with Danny. Instead, he urged jurors to decide what prompted her to strike the fatal blows. He said, We are not here to judge her morality, nor are we here to judge the moral code of Daniel O'Brien, but his demands on women may be important when we consider how they may have affected Janet Charlton. After 19 hours of deliberation, the jury found her not guilty of murder, but she was jailed for five years after being convicted for manslaughter. As the foreman of the jury read out the verdict, Charlton showed little emotion, staring at the floor and closing her eyes. But as her defending QC began his mitigation speech, she began to dab away tears as she sat in the dock dressed head to toe in black with her blonde hair tied into a ponytail. When the judge, Norman Jones, passed sentence, Charlton began to cry and slumped forward in the dock, her head in her hands. Gasps were heard from the packed public gallery where Danny's mum Elizabeth sat, along with Charlton's ex-husband Tony and Lynn Golland, Danny's ex-girlfriend. The judge told Charlton, I take into account you did not take the axe upstairs, and it's only because he did so that you are here today. Nevertheless, to take a man's life even in these circumstances is a grave offence, and can only attract a sentence of a significant number of years. It means at the time you lost your self-control, you were imbued with the desire to kill or cause very serious bodily injury to Danny O'Brien. By the jury's verdict, this was not self-defence, but you lost your self-control and you lashed out in a frenzy and he was killed. He told her that Danny was a flawed man. He said, I'm satisfied that he introduced you to some of these practices, although to keep him happy, you were quite happy to go along with them. The judge recognised she had no history of violence and no previous convictions. He said, others have described you as a somewhat happy-go-lucky woman who's never shown before any tendency towards violence. A number of people shouted comments as she was led by a security guard to the cells, sobbing uncontrollably. One man shouted, you should be laughing, not crying. And Charlton's parents were in tears and she shouted sorry towards them as she left. 
Speaking at a news conference after the case, the detective in charge of the inquiry said he was still unsure of Charlton's motive. Danny's mum said she was absolutely shocked and devastated by the verdict. She said outside court, Danny has never shown violence to a soul in his entire life. The suggestion that the axe was taken to the bedroom by him is utterly outrageous. Janet Charlton later appealed against her sentence and was successful, with the appeal court judges agreeing that her five-year jail term for manslaughter was excessive. At the appeal hearing, it was argued that the trial judge failed to give sufficient credit for points that could be made in mitigation, such as her age, previous good character and the extreme provocation. Her counsel said she was a devoted and caring mum who was no risk to the community or any given individual. And he argued that the unique case merited a significantly lesser term of imprisonment. And so Janet Charlton, then aged just 38, was released after serving only 21 months for killing Danny O'Brien. And as she was released early on parole and picked up outside prison in York by her dad, she said, I'm looking forward to Christmas and the rest of my life. Speaking later at her parents' home, she said, I'm so glad to be out. I'm feeling really well and I'm pleased to be back with my family. I just want to relax and have a quiet day. Her dad added, We're delighted she's home where she belongs. We're all really looking forward to Christmas. And there we have it. Axe killer Janet Charlton was free to live the rest of her life and, of course, enjoy Christmas. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Quite a story, isn't it? There is, as you can imagine, a lot of controversy around the sentence for what was, in reality, an utterly horrific axe murder. And yet at 38, Janet Charlton was free to resume her life. Her ex-husband, Tony, spoke to the press about how he couldn't believe that she allowed their daughter, Amy, to walk back in the room and see Danny lying dead. And I think it's a strong point. He is also unhappy that after her release, she sold some of the more colourful aspects of her relationship with Danny to a magazine. And Danny's family were just appalled about her allegations, saying this is something he had absolutely no history of doing and of course he would never do it. But the reality is, what happened in that room, only Janet and Danny will ever know. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. Please head to the Facebook group to discuss the story with almost 1,700 others. You'll be very welcome. And to support the show and help keep me producing a weekly podcast, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. And if you think it's rubbish, please don't. So it's time for me to jump in the car to head off to Rochdale with my towel and shower gel to live the dream. So until we speak again, cheerio, and remember, even in a sauna club in Rochdale, stay classy. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable postage costs go up. 
Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.